Welcome in to another episode of the Hangtime Podcast. Happy holidays to you, Sekou Smith, here in Atlanta. My main man, John Schumann, is in New Jersey. Christmas Day is around the corner. Five-game slate. Marquee games, of course, as always on Tuesday, Christmas Day. All-Star voting cranks up as well on Christmas. We're going to get into that and everything else on this edition of the show to help us get it right and to set that stage. Howard Beck of Bleacher Report. He's in Las Vegas, his favorite city for the G League Showcase, which cranks up this afternoon. Howard, how are you feeling out there in Vegas, man? I know it's like your blood's got to be pumping in your in your second home. <laughs> uh, I would say I'm I'm here grudgingly. I, I guess would be the the way to put it uh, politely. Um, I I want the NBA to just really study this. When Adam Silver says we're going to take a fresh look at things, he he likes using that. For, can we take a fresh look? That where we're putting summer league and G League showcases. Like, there's a lot of really great cities in this country. I don't know why the NBA keeps coming back to Vegas all the time. All due respect to Vegas. I know a lot of people like it here. I just, you know, uh, I think I'd like to explore, like, I don't know, uh, Colorado Springs or something. Yes. Um, Jackson Hole, Montana. I don't know. Somewhere. (laughs) I I vote with you. Somewhere with fewer casinos and less smoke. Yes, I vote with you on uh, a rotation if there's ever going to be one. Let's let's see the rest of America for summer league Definitely. and and all things NBA. But listen, it, it's it's good to get you on. This is perfect time to talk to you. You had a fantastic story on Giannis Antetokounmpo and kind of uh, the relationship that is budding between his situation in the future and what Anthony Davis is going through right now. It's a must read on Bleacher Report, and we're going to get into that. Howard, momentarily, but right now, Christmas, it, to me, is like a great point in the NBA season to kind of lean back and take a broader view of what's going on. Um, I talk about this to shoe all the time, you know, that Christmas is my liftoff date for a lot of things around the league. Like, literally, I know people who don't watch NBA games until Christmas Day, and then they watch religiously from Christmas, you know, on through the rest of the season. With All-Star voting cranking up on Christmas as well, I thought it would be cool to see from you and Shu and myself, what is our view on all-star starters as of right now? And I'm curious who you guys think should be the all-star starters on both sides. And I know it's not, I don't even know what we call it anymore with the captains. So it's not necessarily just East and West. It's just all-star starters. So I'm going to designate it by conference. Who are your five guys that should be starters on your Western conference all-star team as of now, Howard? So I was trying to go through this exercise this morning, and I realized that I've got the, the inverse problem here. In the West, the backcourt is obvious, and the front court is really difficult. In the East, the front court's obvious, and the backcourt was really difficult. So anyway, here's where I landed on the West. The guards, this is the easy part. It's Harden and Curry. It's just absolutely James Harden and Steph Curry. And there's plenty of other guys who have done worthwhile things, Westbrook, Lillard, Clay Thompson, all the usual suspects. Mm-hmm. It's Harden and Curry as it has been. The front court is tricky. Anthony Davis got to be there. KD has got to be there. And I really, really wanted to put Paul George there, except that there's, there's this guy who moved from the East to the West in complicated <laughs> matters this year named LeBron James. And I'm sorry, but LeBron is still better than Paul George. Um, <laughs> did the Thunder have the better record? If you want to use it as a tiebreaker, I respect anybody who would do that. But I just I don't see how you displace AD or KD. And I just cannot move LeBron off the starting but his, and his numbers, by the way, it's not just on reputation. LeBron's numbers are still there. And yeah. he's leading a, a kind of a ragtag group, to, to be honest. So it's LeBron um, over Paul George there. 
And, uh, you know, Paul, Paul George would be like my, my first tough cut on, on the Western Conference side. All right. Shu, who do you have in the West? Well, I agree completely on the front court with Davis, Durant, and LeBron. But, man, I wish I could stick Paul George in there somewhere because he's been really good. Yeah. Like, in fact, like I would put him in MVP consideration at some point. The backcourt, I have Steph Curry, and then I sort of flip a coin between Harden and Damian Lillard. Mm-hmm. I think Harden's given away a lot on the defensive end of the floor for, for as much as he's done offensively. Lillard's on a better team, and his numbers aren't that far off. I think he's still – I mean, he's still averaging 27, 5, and 6, shooting 40% from three, shooting uh, 89% from the free throw line, getting there 7.3 times a, a game. So I, I kind of flip a coin, and, and, you know, when it is time to do our official ballots, you know, we'll have – I guess, uh, assuming we're all uh, part of the media – vote again uh we'll have another month of data to look at but right now those are the three guys i'm really considering all right well my west um i agree with you guys that the backcourt is thick it's it's hard to choose who to put there but i think steph's a no-brainer uh i just think his body of work is always above and beyond the pale i went with lillard over harden myself um only because i is and, and both teams have had some ups and downs obviously early in the year I felt like Harden was a ghost early in the season, like at the start of the season. I don't know what he was dealing with, how he's getting through it. Once he threw the snakeskin on, he was fine. When he got the short set on, <laughs> it's like he, you know, everything's better now. In the front court in, in the West, and I, I know I'm going to get you know scolded by the AD lovers for this, but I got KD, LeBron, and Paul George. I, I just felt like it was too hard to ignore how good Paul George has been all season how consistent he's been. And AD and Nikola Jokic were the two toughest not to put on that first five in the West for me. Howard, in the East, did you have any easier time picking those five in, in for your Eastern Conference starters? So in the East, my locks were in the front court. Giannis, Joel Embiid, Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I just didn't even blink on those. The backcourt was interesting. Kemba Walker has to be there, I think. Um, not just sentimentally because the game is in Charlotte. Um, although... You know, I'm not, I'm not above that. Like, I, I think that there's a case to be made. No, seriously, like, if you've got the numbers anyway, and if you're looking for tiebreakers and, and everything, sentimentality right. and other, other factors can come into play. I don't, I don't mind that at all, whether it's the fans voting or us voting. Right. Um, the second one, I considered Victor Oladipo, but he missed a bunch of games. I considered Ben Simmons. I considered Bradley Beal. But, man, it's tough to, to give the Wizards anything because they've just been such a tire yeah. fire. Um, and then I looked again, and I realized like Kyrie Irving, you know, despite like the, the scuffle that the Celtics have had, or that he himself I think had the first few weeks, Kyrie's actually uh, put together a pretty strong season to date. So I went Kemba and Kyrie in the backcourt with Giannis Embiid and Kawhi. Gotcha. That that's a hard list to argue with you. Did you did you have the same five? Front court's the same, and yeah, I think of the four groups, the front, the East front court was the easiest as far mm-hmm. as um, Leonard, Antetokounmpo, and Embiid. Yeah. Um, the backcourt, I have Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons. Um, really, Ben Simmons? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean he's, I mean he's, he's good. I mean, he's been putting up great numbers for a team that's really good. Um, Irving, uh, I think, with the way that some other guys have struggled, and I wrote this sort of in power rankings this week. You know, I, I you know, Seku that. But going into the season, I thought that Al Horford remained that team's most important player just because right. of his skill set compared to all the perimeter guys who sort of had over- overlapping skill sets. But with the way that Jalen Brown, 
Hayward and Terry Rozier to a, to an extent have like sort of struggled this year. Irving's sort of offense has been more valuable or more important this year than I think it was last year. So I, that's sort of part of my consideration with him. Right. And so I had Irving and Simmons and then Kyle Lowry was the toughest one to, to, to not include for me. Mm. Uh, I think Kemba Walker will get there. You know, like that's the one good thing about all these picks is like, I don't, even when, when it's when it is time to vote for us, like I don't no, think we have yeah, to worry yeah. about leaving a guy off and yeah. him not being an all star. But I, yeah, I think Kyle Lowry is worth considering, and I, I I'm keeping him on, on my short list for when it comes time to to actually vote. Yeah, I would put him third in the East backcourt. I I got uh, I got Kawhi, Embiid, and Giannis up front. I think that's it's not debatable um, that that those are the three guys should, that should be in those slots. I wish Oladipo hadn't gotten hurt and missed the time he did because I think this would have been his year to be in that, that first five in the backcourt. I happen to side with Howard on Kimba only because I'm looking at the load he shoulders compared to what some other guys have to do. He's not playing on a team where there are the number of other high-quality players to, to play off of like Kyrie has or like Ben Simmons has. And, I, I didn't even think about Simmons as one of the starters, as one of the, you know, I, I really had it down to Kimba and Kyrie, uh, you know, and, and Kyrie's maddening, you know, more so for what comes out of his mouth than, than what <laughs> comes off the flick of his wrist. But he, you know, his, his talent and his skill and, and the way he plays is undeniable. So I, I could, I could see anybody making that choice. Christmas, you know, and, and this all-star voting and this Christmas Day games, guys, are, to me, a really nice space to start the conversation that you dropped in, in your article on Bleacher Report, uh, Howard, about Giannis. There are people who have yet to comprehend fully what this guy's doing, you know, with Mike Budenholzer's offense as a, as a platform now. What's your take on the overall resurgence in Milwaukee? How much of it is Giannis – elevating to that next level and how how much is it those fresh eyes that Budenholzer and his staff brought in in the moving and and you know twisting and tweaking that they've done to improve the overall roster in Milwaukee I mean it's it's the uh can I say symbiosis on this podcast yes you um, can use that word <laughs> I mean there, it, 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 it's it's both it's symbiotic like Budenholzer came in with a vision and that he sold to John Horst, the GM, you have to, wasn't, wasn't a really hard sell, but it was the vision that he laid out when they spoke about this job months ago, where he said, look, I think there's a lot more here. There's a lot more potential to be unlocked. There's more that Giannis can do without adding a single thing to his game. We just need to give him the space, the, the palette basically to do it. And it was to go with a five out offense. It was to go out and get more three point shooting, including at the center position, in John Schumann's favorite, Brooke Lopez. Um, <laughs> and, and it wasn't just there. You know, they, didn't, they, they, they got Brooke. They got Ursa Ilyasova. Uh, they drafted DiVincenzo. They picked up Pat Connaughton, who was a low-volume three-point shooter in Portland, but an efficient one. So, um, and a guy who they actually really like for his defensive toughness as well. And so they got Budenholzer kind of guys to, to run a, a Budenholzer kind of scheme. I mean, it's a different scheme than he had in Atlanta. Um, but because he's got Giannis at the center of it and, you know, you've got a supreme, not just a supreme playmaker as, as, as Giannis is, I mean, maybe not at LeBron level, but he is, you know, but a, a you know, virtual seven footer point forward type who yeah. does see the, the floor well, who does make plays well and who, when he's coming down, uh, you know, the, the, uh, 
center of the floor, you just there's no one getting in front of him. There's no stopping him, and he just might fly over you anyway. And so it just it unlocked a lot of potential. And Giannis has taken full advantage of it. There's the Wall Street Journal had a great story recently about I think he's on some sort of record pace for dunks um, because the floor is wide open. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, huge credit to Budenholzer and John Horst for basically saying there's a better way we can use the guys we already have, and we just need to plug in the right role players. And the last point I'll make on this real quick is just that it's very rare in this league to see a team make the kind of quantum leap that the Bucks have made without adding either an all-star or some injured star back into the mix. They didn't add, you know, like I, this is no disrespect to Brooke Lopez or Sanilia Sova or anybody else, but they, they didn't add impact players in the offseason in the their traditional sense they added an impact coach and then they got the right players to put around Giannis and and they have made this huge leap as a result I'm not sure Shu that there's a way to calculate Giannis's impact in in this era when he's not shooting threes which has become the the number one tool for basically all the great players even LeBron is shooting threes as well as he ever has. Does it make sense, Shu, when you hear guys like Shaq and other people talk about how dominant Giannis is without him having that as a part of his arsenal right now? Howard mentioned the dunks, but yeah, you can look at dunks, you can look at points in the restricted area, you can look at points in the paint. He's doing stuff that nobody has done in, in basically 15 years at least since, mm-hmm. since Shaq, basically. And Shaq is a totally different kind of player in a totally different era. So it is kind of unprecedented. And credit to Budenholzer, credits to, to that team for um, buying into that system also, all those players, and, and even guy like a, a Bledsoe who's, who's changed his game along the way. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be fascinating to see uh, all these East teams sort of match up in the playoffs and, and especially sort of how teams try to defend the Bucks And if there is somebody that they can, any of these teams, whether it be uh, Boston or Philly or Toronto or Indiana, where they have a player they can put in front of Giannis and say, that's, you know, that's your assignment and, and try to stay at home on everybody else. I don't know if that's, if that's possible. I can't, I can't wait to, to see it. And, and I think it's something to keep an eye on when they match up with those teams uh, going forward. Yeah, the, the Bucks and the Knicks kick off the uh, five-game slate on Christmas Day at noon. Thunder Rockets at 3, 76 and Celtics at 5.30. Lakers and Warriors at 8. And the Blazers and the Jazz wrap it all up that night at 10.30. Howard, I thought it was awesome. The, the Steve Ashburner. Colleague here at NBA.com had a, had a really good story after the AD Giannis matchup where Giannis is basically diving into this whole party that everybody else is telling AD, man, why don't you come to Milwaukee? Come to the Bucks. Is, is that where we are now in, in, the, in the overall NBA landscape where basically two years out, we start speculating nonstop about a superstar's free agent possibilities because of the fact that these contracts are so short, you don't have time to do anything other than speculate about what's next when it's a, a one, you know, one in one deals or, you know, you got four years bef- before a guy's back on that free agent market that literally drives the NBA headline monster year round. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. There's so many different dynamics at work here, but I mean, I think, and I wrote about this in the Giannis story that I just did, which is that, starting with LeBron in 2010 when LeBron broke the old mold and said, I, the best player in the game can go wherever I want and join up with other stars and 
and not pay a price. I mean, he paid a short-term price, but long-term, mm-hmm. the man's got three championships, and he just keeps moving, and now we don't even – we just shrug. Oh, he went to L.A.? Okay, that's cool. <laughs> oh, Paul George forced his way out, and he's in Oklahoma now? All right, no problem. Kawhi's in Toronto? Okay, no problem. Like, there's no the, – the old paradigm is just gone. The idea yeah. of, 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 of player loyalty, which, you know, if that ever even should have existed. I mean, I'm not judging it one way or the other, but that, that idea is, is out, of, out of style, basically. So you start with that, and then as you mentioned, you know, the NBA has shortened contracts in every CBA for the last, like, 15 years, and we're now down to, like, four or five years. And so you combine all that with the, the leverage players have so that Kyrie Irving, with two years left on his deal, could say, yeah, you know what, I, w- I want out. And, and the Cavs say, okay, we're trading you to Boston because – because you don't want to be here anymore. So now if you're on a four or five year deal, a few couple years in, the clock's already ticking. And so that, and the other thing is, and this is, I think, probably the most influential piece of this. Players in this day and age, because they know they can make a lot, a lot of money no matter where they play, you're not sacrificing much. I mean, you're, you're sacrificing a lot in, in normal pr- person's terms. You might be sacrificing 30 million, but you're still going to make 180 or 200 million <laughs> when you change teams. And so the old incentives that were designed to keep guys at home just aren't that influential anymore and so that leads us to the last piece which is players are now prioritizing winning and contending over a lot of other stuff and we the public have created this we have said hey charles barkley your career's not complete because you never won a title hey carl malone your you know your career wasn't complete and so today's players are saying well if i can't get help here where i am if this gm this front office this owner can't get me the help i need I got to go somewhere else because I've got a legacy to, to build. I got a brand to build and I've only got X number of years. And so if Anthony Davis is looking around his surroundings and saying, well, I'm going to, I'm playing on a 500 team for the moment in a tiny market with shaky fan support. Maybe I should be somewhere else. And he'd be, you know, it, it's a reasonable thing for him to consider. Now we don't know what will ultimately happen, but we do know there's a trigger point on July 1st. He either accepts the supermax. Or he rejects it. And if he rejects it, it means that he doesn't want to be there and they're going to trade him. So it's fair for us to speculate because we are basically eight months away, seven and a half months away from the, the, the trigger point for AD to decide where he wants to be. And, you know, that, that's, that's a very big thing considering he's a top five player in the NBA. You know what's weird about it is that as much as purists and, and people who claim to be traditionalists bellyache about it and how much they hate it. And you hear these older players, you know, former players say, oh, I would have never joined up with a guy. The, the basketball public loves it. They love to hate it. They love to love it. They love to argue about it. They love to tweet about it. I mean, it drives the machine right now, which I remember the days when, when guys were signing six-year deals. I, I'll never forget Ron Artest signing a long-term deal in Indiana and people being upset about him doing it, be going, you know, saying, man, you got to bet on yourself. That's too long to do. Including the general manager who, who gave him the contract to sign. Donnie Walsh told me, he was like, I don't think he should do it. I think he should bet himself and sign a shorter term deal, but he wanted the security. The players shoe, they don't even seem like they care about the long-term security. They're much more interested in the flexibility of being able to change their circumstance sooner rather than later. You think that's, you think that's the right thing for the players to have on their mind? I think it's an individual case by case. I mean, there's been, it's backfired for some guys for Mm -hmm. sure. I was, I'm kind of fascinated by like how, how public stuff comes and how guys handle it. Cause I go back to like Chris Paul leaving new Orleans right after the lockout 
where it was they went into basically into training camp knowing that they had to trade him but like he never said anything you know like he was able to I guess it it helped that it was during sort of in the off season where he didn't have to be in front of cameras he didn't have to ask answer any questions from reporters and like it was his sort of demand to leave was rather quiet and then you know obviously there was the the botch tra- or the the trade that got taken back to the Lakers um, mm-hmm. and then the trade to the Clippers. And then you compare that to like the Jimmy Butler situation this year where it was just PR disaster. But it was great. It was great for the storyline. I mean, it kept the buzz going. We don't even talk about the Timberwolves anymore. We couldn't stop talking <laughs> about them for the first month and a half of the season. I guess. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I, I think it's kind of fascinating. Like you, you, you know, some guys can save their rep by doing it quietly where others got other guys will, take shots for being more public about it or having it come out in a certain way. It's always interesting to see how it all gets handled from a, a PR perspective, a, a media perspective, from the player's perspective as well. Obviously, if if Butler, I guess he said something, you know, he, he says he said something right after the season, but like if that situation got handled during the summer, then it would have been much different than having it all take place, you know, over the course of the preseason and then the first whatever 10 games of the season, whatever it was. I'm not one of these guys, Howard. You've been covering the league a long time, as have I. I I'm not one of these guys who says, it, you know, well, that no matter if it's positive or negative, it's good to have the NBA in the headlines all, all year round. I remember when there was a time when there was an actual offseason where you could vanish and disappear for a few weeks and nobody would mind. The, the NBA knocks the NFL out of the headlines in the offseason now, which never happened. 15, 20 years ago. Have we have we jumped that shark now in the, in the NBA where it's the new 24-hour, 365 sports news cycle that the NFL was, I think, in a previous generation? I think we can safely say the NBA is a 12-month sport now because of all of the off-season movement, off-season chatter. Um, the fact that Summer League takes up, it feels like almost the entire month of July now. And, and, the, and the league does love this. Listen, there may well be a price to pay sometime down the line for stars jumping around as often as they do these days, or for stars most of the time, most of the time when they jump, jumping from smaller markets to larger markets. There may be a price down the line where fans in smaller markets, there just becomes a, a group depression where it's like, you know, I mean, you, you, you lose um, Kawhi Leonard and maybe the Spurs aren't going to be great again for a long time for all we know. I mean, it's hard to believe it because of the Spurs, but nothing lasts forever. And then if, what if AD leaves New Orleans? And, and what if Giannis does leave Milwaukee? What if, if it just continues the trend that we've seen over the last eight years or more, um, there may be a price to pay down the line. But in the meantime, the league enjoys the fact and knows that it is benefiting from the fact that fans are consuming that much more NBA media in one form or another. Twitter and just uh, you know, every, every aspect, every different entry point you can think of, it's keeping the NBA in the discussion on talk radio, on podcasts, social media. Um, and that, that year-round coverage and the speculation and the intrigue, rumors, everybody loves those <laughs> transaction rumors. Uh, all that stuff just fuels, it fuels interest. The NBA, you know, there's, I, there's not a question in my mind that the folks at Olympic Tower love that aspect of it. But as I say, it's fun for the moment. It's this nice, you know, like it's, it's like the dopamine hits you get when you're checking Twitter or your email or your texts. <laughs> and the NBA is getting those constant dopamine hits from all the fan interest. I do wonder and I do worry to some extent 
that at some point there may be a price to pay because if fans start checking out in certain markets where they just feel like there's a hopelessness because if you get a great player, if you're fortunate enough to get him, the clock ticks and then a few years later the guy's gone, that effect may, may be a problem down the line. Yeah. My other big concern, you know, and, and I'm looking at these Christmas Day matchups, you know, the Bucks are matched up against a Knicks team that doesn't move the needle for anybody. It's not the Knicks that are on the Christmas Day showcase. It's Madison Square Garden that's on the Christmas <laughs> just, think of it, just think of it that way, right? Yes, it's, 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 yes. It's, that, no, that's it's absolutely a, true. So it's, it's a really just a star playing at Madison Square Garden yes. on Christmas. That's what, that's what that game is. It's not about right. the Knicks. It's about Madison Square Garden. So, I mean, if, if we have... But the other four games are great. Right. And we, and we had this thing for, for a while now where people, you know, moaned and groaned. Well, you know, if your big market teams aren't a factor, the league is less than. The Lakers went five years without making the playoffs. Longest stretch, I believe, they've had in the history of their organization. And now they're back in the mix with LeBron. I mean, how much longer do we go seriously? And, and both you guys are have New York roots or New York based. How much longer can we go with the Knicks being being the ghost of a franchise that they are? Seriously, can it go on for another five year cycle where they're just not in the mix? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, you go to that building, wow. you go to that building, and it doesn't matter how bad they are, really. I mean, there's always <laughs> it's always full, and a lot of it is is tourists. Like I'll be walking like down the stairwell, like after a game and you'll hear like five different languages, you know, people who come in to New York to visit and from different countries and they've never seen an NBA game. And here's an NBA game right down the street from where they're staying. So as far as that building, they don't need to be good. They really don't. And there's always going to be stars coming in and, 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 and playing. But as far as the league, I guess, I mean, I don't, I don't know how important it is um, as far as TV ratings. I mean, TV ratings are great and the Knicks are terrible, but I, I think there's promise. I mean, hopefully Porzingis comes back healthy and, and stronger than ever. And they've got some young guys that are playing well and they have cap space. So I think I, I'm not, I mean, I think there's still hope for another eight months at least until we get to <laughs> July and then see what happens. <laughs> I just I just can't fathom that they could be this this much of a non-factor. How after all these years, it's crazy. Well, it's the, because they've been a non-factor for so long. I, I I think that's just the norm now. That is the new normal. Wow. So I I just take that as the given. I think if they become relevant, that's the outlier at this point. I mean, for the last twenty years almost, it's it's been it's been pretty bleak there. Um, you know, listen, there's still an allure of New York and of the Garden itself. And here's your best case scenario for the Knicks, and it's not a hard one to sketch out. The best case scenario, Porzingis comes back from his ACL exactly the same special player he was with no limitations and, and all, all the, the wonderful gifts that he has are still intact. And that's enough to draw KD or somebody in free agency. And if you've got KD and Porzingis and then they maybe trade some of their you know, other young pieces for a third star, boom, you're in business. Um, I'm not sure a KD, Porzingis, Kevin Knox, Frank Nielakina, Tim Hardaway Jr. core is enough. And actually, I think they probably have to offload tomorrow with Junior at some point just to make room to, to, to get other pieces they need. Or they don't even have a full max slot available yet. They, they still have to make some, some, do some maneuvering. But there's a, there's a scenario there. Now, listen, I'm on, on record already on, on this piece of it. I don't think KD should join the Knicks. I don't understand why he would. I don't even understand why he would leave Golden State at all. But if he did leave Golden State, I think he's got better options. But that is, you know, look, around the league, there are a lot of people who believe that that's a very real thing, that KD to New York – is is not just some speculative rumor or whatever that, that this is this is a real possibility. If that happens, 
to answer your question, Seiko, they're in, they're in business. Yeah. They're, you know, one KD later, yeah. you're very relevant, but they still need Porzingis to be back to who he was. Otherwise, KD doesn't have much help. Now, the flip scenario, of course, is KD snubs them. No stars come for their max slot. And Porzingis, look, there's no precedent for a seven foot three player who plays the way he does, period, much less a seven foot three player who plays the way he does coming back from an ACL. So we don't really know what his future is. And, and that's a little scary. Listen, Durant is the one who, who talked about Porzingis being the unicorn. That was the first guy I remember, you know, verbalizing that. The other thing is I do see where the connecting tissue could be in New York for him. He's got history with Scott Perry. You know, Scott Perry was assistant GM in Seattle when, you know, Durant was drafted. He had a, a ground floor relationship with Kevin Durant when he came into the league. And you got Royal Ivy on David Fisdale's staff, who, from what I understand, is one of KD's oldest and closest, you know, friends in the league. And they have the, the Texas connection. So there's a lot, you know, if, you, if you're looking for, you know, all these different underlying fibers, you could, you could start connecting pieces. But I agree with you, Howard. Why would anybody leave what the Warriors have going on right now? I don't – I can't fathom anybody – running away from a championship situation at its peak if KD was to leave. And seriously, I went back through and looked at every championship run, dynasty, mini dynasty, pseudo dynasty, should have been dynasty. No central figure leaves when it's, when it's at its zenith on his own volition. Like you might get traded, something else might happen, but you don't pack up and leave when it's going the way the Warriors have it going. That, to me, for all the stuff we talk about, Giannis, AD, anybody else, if Durant bolts Golden State for anywhere, I don't care where he goes, I, that will be the true stunner for me. You talk about turning the league upside down when you don't have to. That would be the move to me that changes everything. That changes what free agents do the next two and three years if KD were to make that move this summer. I mean, I think there's a similar thread between that and Kyrie Irving leaving Cleveland, whereas where that team had been to the finals three straight years and they were about to go to the finals one more time and he said, I'm out. No, shoot, I don't think Kyrie... Well, I think, I'll just say, let me, let me continue. Like, there's a, there's a thing where, like, you know, Kyrie wanted his own right, thing, right. right? Like, and, like, he made the biggest, one of the biggest shots in NBA history and the first person that Doris Burke is talking to at the end of the finals is LeBron James. And the, the headline is LeBron James delivered a championship to Cleveland, right? He's, yeah, he, he's the dude who hit the shot. Yes. Um, but, and the same thing in, in, in Golden State, Durant's never going to be the number one guy. I mean, that's just the way, like, there's no, that's just not the way it is. And, and that's, a, and, and you see this on a lot of franchises. They like the guy that they drafted and who was their guy from day one. Um, more than they they like the import, but I think New York is one place where they'll accept the free agent star coming in and make in, and call him their number one guy, and and won't prefer the the homegrown guys more than him. And so I think like Durant in the eyes of Warriors fans is probably like number four on their list, right? Because the other three guys have been there come from on. day one. No, come on, shoot. Just as far as the guys that they truly root for. If like you, if you were asked like a Warriors fan, all right, who do you want to to hit the biggest shot tonight? You know, it'd be Curry number one, and then like Clay and Draymond. Like I, I just no. feel like you know Durant's the the, the extra that came in and, and a Warriors fan with one too many beers. Maybe I, are you crazy? <laughs> I mean, these are the finals, two times finals MVP. Right. 
But he made things right, too could, easy. But let me chime in here for a second. Please he He's the two-time finals MVP, but last June, after he won MVP and the, the votes were revealed and I'm among those who voted for KD, I had, like, Steph Curry fans, like, all over my butt for this. Like, I bring it up because it kind of matters. Like, not that, you know, a bunch of cranky Steph Curry loyalists should, you know, should, should be um, influential in any of this, but it speaks to the dynamic there, which is that Steph Curry was there first. He was the guy who was the center of that team. He was a two-time regular season MVP. He's the guy who, you know, led this renaissance in Oakland. And KD comes in and, listen, like, Steph is still number one, I think, in the hearts and minds of people in the Bay Area. And that may matter to KD. And there is this weird dynamic where, like, us on the outside, we just look at it and say, they got four phenomenal players, including two guys who are just all-timers as, as scorers, as offensive uh, players, creators. And, and, and on any given day, one guy or the other might be the more important. And we have no emotional investment in it. But Warriors fans have a deep emotional investment in it. And it is mostly with Steph. And they're offended by the idea that KD could be elevated above him, even for something like finals MVP that he very well earned. And if KD feels that, instead of the validation and vindication he gets from winning two finals MVPs and being a, a, a really important part of them being able to win those two championships that a lot of people around the league think maybe they don't get without him. And instead, he doesn't get the credit for it. And there's even this weird, like I say, this, this backlash from Curry fans. Maybe that is all part of the dynamic that eventually th- makes him think, ah, I got to reestablish something different about what I do and how important I am somewhere else. I look at it this way, like even from my perspective, I have no investment in the Warriors more than any other team. But that first championship, 2015, I love that team. That team was so much fun. And then like the last two, I don't love that team as much. You know, it was, it was too easy. Like, seriously, it was like they're, they're just There's too good to do that. There's too good. I mean, I mean, they they came out of sort of nowhere that first year, not totally out of nowhere, but like they, they, you know, were number one offensive team. You know, they were the first team that says you can play fast and, and still play great defense. Like that was a unique team and it was special. And then, you know, they had Durant and it's like, eh, you I'm know. crushed. Uh, no, I'm crushed because this is, you know what this is? This is about who and what you are deep down in your own core. I'm a run up the score kind of guy. Like, <laughs> I'm one of these dudes that you beat somebody 65, nothing. Why not get 70? You know, like, you throw that last touchdown in the fourth quarter in the last minute just for the hell of it. Like, I like Darth Vader. I appreciated the dark side. <laughs> I'm all for humiliating the, the opposition. And then there are people who are just better better human beings than me. They don't want to see somebody lowered over everybody else. They don't want to see a team that, that vanquishes everybody. So I get it. I understand I'm on the other side of the spectrum. But the point you guys make about Steph and KD, it's the th- same thing I wrestle with every week trying to come up with, with the right order on the MVP ladder because the value I see in what Steph does, and it's taken me probably the last year to really compute that and, and internalize it. Sometimes you can be the best player and the, the most important player on a team without having the numbers or having the biggest performance at, at certain times. Like, I understand that, KD, when you get in the finals, there's a matchup nightmare for somebody, whether it's Cleveland and LeBron or whoever, where KD is simply physically overmatching the competition in ways that Steph, as great as he is, can't in a series where you're locked up, you know, in a 
two week stretch. So I understand this this guttural like you know attachment to Steph that Warriors fans have. I also understand Howard, and you know this probably better than most. For as long as the Warriors were an afterthought in the NBA, they've had a fan base that's treated their own players and elevated their own to levels that other people would not. So Steph is Steph is truly the embodiment of everything Warriors fans have always wanted. Their own homegrown, game-changing superstar who plays the game with a joy and an energy that resonates with the Bay Area and those and those Warriors fans. But how do you separate those two guys in our business? Like how do you how do you put the proper value on what Steph brings and what Durant brings and give them both the respect they deserve. If, if KD stays in, with the Golden State Warriors, it's never going to be fixed. He can win finals MVP five more times. It's never going to be rectified. There's going to be a, a, a block of Warriors fans who will never let it go that Steph is the, is the center of their universe. I think that's probably true. And I think maybe it will only be in the longer uh, view of history that, that Warrior fans or maybe even NBA fans elsewhere will appreciate KD for the truly incredible player that he is and his importance to this era. I mean, it may just take years and maybe that we're still too much in the moment and still grappling with the idea that we're living in an age where a player of KD's caliber can leave a team that was in the conference finals in a game seven to go to the team that, that beat him and then help them win championships. I mean, I think it's, <laughs> listen, I, I mean, listen, I don't mean to bring it up in a snarky no, way at all. Like, I, it has I, to be a part I, of I'm the, in the, yeah, but it, it, it just, it's just there. Like it's, I, I am in the camp of, of, you know, philosophically of, Guys should just go where they want to go, where they're going to be happy. And I don't have any problem at all with KD having gone to the Warriors. But my opinion doesn't matter because there are thousands, hundreds of thousands, who knows how many people across the country who are NBA fans who don't like it, didn't like it, still don't like it, and still will hold it against him and still say that it cheapens his accomplishments. I think that's BS, but but the opinion exists. That sentiment exists out there. And so if you're a player – if, if you're dealing with that and you're cognizant of that, and KD certainly is because we've seen him react in so many different ways um, to people publicly, then that does weigh on you on, on some level. Uh, but I, I think, listen, this is a historically great team. It was formed different than other historically great teams, and that's the part that people are still grappling with. It used to be if you had four Hall of Famers on the old Celtics teams – or you know, you know, three Hall of Famers on on the Bulls, counting Rodman with with Jordan and Pippen, whatever it may be, whichever example you want to pull from history, we're just used to it having been orchestrated by a front office instead of by players. And it's the part that it's when it's orchestrated by players, starting with the Heat in 2010, that some fans still can't get their head around, and so it, it colors their perceptions and how they view these guys and how they evaluate their accomplishments. We're going to get a chance to watch all that drama and more on Christmas, which is what I love about the NBA. When when nothing else is going on on Christmas Day after you tear open gifts and fill your belly with a little brunch, there's going to be basketball on all day. Bucks and Knicks at noon, Thunder and Rockets at 3, 76ers and Celtics at 5.30, that Lakers-Warriors game at 8 that everybody will be watching, and then the Blazers-Jazz to top it off. If I asked you guys, I'm going to put you this way, and then I'm, I'm moving on. If I asked you guys right now, you get Katie or Steph to start your new team, who are you taking? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that is that is tough. I mean, I, I think I think I lean, God, I think I lean Steph because 
aside from all the other amazing things that he does, and look, KD is one of the most unique players in NBA history, and, and then at that size, he's just an impossible guard. Um, I'd want him. Steph has that other element. Steph brings that, that, that joy to the game. I mean, it almost feels like a cliche to use the word Steph and joy in the same sentence. Yeah. But it matters. It matters. And, and we've seen, you know, you know, Shu, you got the numbers, uh, I'm sure, at your fingertips. But I think they're always better with, you know, with Steph than they are with just KD. And every time Steph goes out, they just don't quite look the same. And I, I, part of that may be his gravity. Part of it may be his playmaking. And part of it just may be that, that there's a certain spirit to that team that Steph always embodied. And to Shu's point about their first championship run, that was what was so much fun. Part, partly that we couldn't see it coming. Partly that it was this, that whole strength in numbers group, and there wasn't any one guy, even though Steph was the guy. It was that, that was when we still talked about the Splash Brothers, as if those two guys were equals, as if that you know that was a, it was a pairing that mattered, not one guy that mattered. But there's something special about Steph in terms of his overall makeup that I think uh, lifts a team, and that's no knock on Katie whatsoever. It's, it's just a, it's just a difference between them. Yeah. Shu, who would you take? Curry, because I'd be less worried that he's going to leave in another. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> that's how you break that's it down shot. to the bare bones <laughs> nice that's a shot no but I, you know what i was just looking i realized that they're the same age like i didn't realize yes. that they're only six months apart yes. I didn't, and curry's six months older actually i didn't even i didn't even hadn't even thought about that sort of part of the equation but yeah i think curry you can build you know <laughs> i mean Durant's the the more complete player, but I think I think he could find easier compliments for Curry. Curry, I guess if that's if that's makes sense. Maybe because he shares it the way he does too. Maybe yeah. he's willing to share in ways that Durant. We didn't know if Durant was until he got to. The, I didn't know if he could play like that until he got to the Warriors because he spent his whole career in in Seattle, and Oklahoma City, in kind of a two man thing where it was him, him or Russ, you know, playing hero ball. I I, I gained a new appreciation for. Durant's game when he went to the Warriors but I agree with you if I had to start if I'm starting fresh if I'm an expansion team and as much as I love KD and as transcendent as I think his talent is I don't think you can put a number or a a measurement on the spirit that Steph brings to a team and and if you have nothing else listen to his teammates talk about how different life is with him or listen to Steve Kerr talk that was that's the story uh, on the sports person of the year being that entire Warriors team and organization was was a fascinating read by Chris Ballard in, in SI. It it spoke to all of the different elements they have. Draymond, you know, and I think there's something about the way that Steph and Clay, as a pair, as as Splash Brothers, the fact that they were raised in the NBA, in in the NBA environment, in the NBA households, where they had a certain respect and understanding for how you comport yourself at the highest level coming into the league. They already knew it. They understood it intrinsically that it, that you had to be a certain type of person to be the type of champions and leaders they've become is something that you can never erase from that equation. And I, I think it's what makes Steph the transcendent talent that he is on and off the court. And it's what's made this Warriors dynasty go from the start. So yeah, there's, I want to say just one quick thing. There's something like Duncan-esque in his sort of yeah. in him being like a franchise player that makes an, a huge impact on the floor, and then obviously is no maintenance off the floor. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Shu, what is what is your trivia for this week? I mean, we got Christmas games coming up, fantastic matchups. The whole world's watching. I'm kicking everybody out 
for Lakers Warriors, so I don't have to hear any noise. <laughs> so what's your trivia this week on the Schumann staff? And it better be Christmas Day related. It is. So it's it's five quick trivia questions about the five uh, matchups that we have on Christmas Day. Oh, Lord. Okay. All right. So first one is Howard. Get ready now. I'm telling you. So first one is which <laughs> Christmas Day matchup features a top five offense versus top five defense. As we're as we're talking, we're talking on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So it's just through uh, Wednesday's games. Top five offense versus a top five defense. Well, it ain't the Bucks Knicks game. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Correct. It's not the Bucks Knicks game. But what which about, are the other four? What about Blazers Jazz? Nope. Dang. I think I think it's Rockets Thunder. It is Rockets number five offense, Thunder number one defense. All right, which uh, Christmas Day matchup features three of the five top pull-up three-point shooters? Now, I'm talking minimum of 50 pull-up three-point attempts. This matchup has three of the top five in, in regard to pull-up three-point percentage with a minimum of 50 attempts. Pull up. Well, it ain't Nick's Bucks, I'll tell you. Oh, sorry. Sorry, use that joke. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Lakers-Warriors. Nope. That has that has two Whoa. of the five, top five, but that's uh, not three of the top. That's that the other three in the top five are in this other game. Huh. Um, LeBron is number five, or uh, yeah, LeBron is number four in pull up three percent point percentage. Stephen Curry is number one, but number two, three, and five are all in this in another Christmas uh, Day matchup. That's a really fascinating question. Um, <laughs> is it is it Rockets Thunder again? Nope. It's got to be Blazers Jazz. Oh, nope. What? The Sixers and the Celtics? Nope. Stop. We're, we're out of game? I just, I just dropped my mic. Stop. You see, it I is see. the Milwaukee Bucks oh, no. and the New York oh. Knicks featuring, <laughs> featuring Eric Bledsoe, number two, 41% on 66 pull-up three-point attempts. Wow. Tim Hardaway Jr., 41% on 106 pull-up three-point attempts. And Chris Middleton, wow. 40% on 88 pull-up three-point attempts. So you're saying we're starting off today with a gunner's paradise. Yes, Tim Hardaway, been good shooter off the dribble. Yeah, right. I'm gonna be I'll be I'll be hearing from Knicks fans on that one. <laughs> All right, which one features two of the top five teams in fast break points per game? That has to be Lakers Warriors, doesn't Correct. it? Correct. Lakers are number okay. two at twenty point four and Warriors are number five at sixteen point eight per game. Oh, All right, easy one. Which which feature which is the only one that features two teams that won a playoff series last year or this last season? That won playoff series last year. Well, it ain't it ain't Bucks Knicks and it ain't Seventy <laughs> Sixers um, and Celtics. Yep. Yeah. All right. Last yeah. one. Which which features a top five team in assist percentage versus you know a percentage of field goals that were assisted versus a bottom five team in assist percentage. Hmm. Um, Who's moving the rock? Lakers Warriors again? Nope. The only one we haven't mentioned yet. Utah Jazz, number five in assist percentage. Portland Trailblazers, number 28 in assist percentage. 28? I I would never have guessed that. Dame and CJ are not necessarily shooters. They are shooters off the dribble. (laughs) Well, and the thing is, like, that that fits the profile, but at the same time, they're also guys who can do both. And so I I wouldn't have – that they would be lower is fine, but 28? They were the only team. I think. I think I'm going back last year. I think they were thirtieth. Um, really? So they've slightly wow. seen an increase. You talk about no increase. trust in the rest of that in, in that support cast. 
Wow. Uh, I'm not mad at you. You got to do what works for you. You got to play. You got to play to win. Um, the fascinating thing is, is that they, you know, Terry Stotts, the, you know, I think this is the fourth year that McCollum's been a starter. So the first three years, he staggered their minutes completely. So he'd always have one on the floor at, at all times. So like one would end the first quarter, the other one would be on the court to start the second. He stopped doing that this year. And then like in the last month, they've just been awful, awful with both of them off the floor and Evan Turner running the offense. So I'm kind of curious to see if, if he sort of uh, goes back to the uh, old ways. He did it for a game last week and didn't really work. So. Well, now I gotta watch. I gotta watch that last game. I gotta find a way to stay up all day and night on Christmas and watch that last game to see how many times they uh, they share. Howard, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, all that good stuff. We appreciate you, man. The, the podcast, the stories, everything. You're killing it as always on, on Bleacher Report. It's it's gonna be fun to see where this season goes, and, and I think your story on Giannis brings up a lot of a lot of things we're gonna have to pay attention to in the coming years. Because this is a new era, as you mentioned. This is a different generation of player in terms of how they understand their power in this league. And, and I think those two guys in particular, Giannis and AD, might be the headliners of, of what we see in, you know, in the years to come in terms of superstar player movement and whether or not those guys decide to pull up stakes and go somewhere else changes and, and shifts the balance of power in this league um, as LeBron finally exits the stage probably in the next 15 years. So we appreciate, you know, we appreciate all you do as always, man, and great stuff covering this league for, for so many years. Uh, thank, thanks for that, Seku. Appreciate it. Appreciate all the great work you guys do as well, and happy holidays uh, to you guys as well. Hope you enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, I know we'll all be uh, up late and tweeting, I'm sure, on Christmas. <laughs> no question. We're off m- on Monday on Christmas Eve. Uh, we, we do have a soul around here. We, we will make sure John Hartzell doesn't have to work on Christmas Eve. There'll be a new edition of Power Rankings. Yes, you're still going to be on the hook for Power Rankings. We'll be back next Thursday uh, with another edition of the Hangtime Podcast, the last one, I believe, of calendar year 2018. Um, So be sure to subscribe to Hangtime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes all season long. Uh, We appreciate you. Make sure you leave a review. Merry Christmas, and we'll see you next time right here on the Hangtime Podcast.